Joy, you did a great job, and it's a lot of reading, and we've got things that we're doing and not doing, and it's, but you did a great job, so thank you. I really appreciate your care in bringing that part of God's word to us. Now, I'm going to try and make sense of that, uh, which we obviously need prayer help for, don't we? So uh, let us pray, and then if you can keep Romans 7 open, that would be super helpful. Father, thank you for this time set aside in our week where we can come before your word. I ask, Father, that you might unveil our hearts, that we might see clearly what it is you would say to us today. Thank you, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you are present with us and that you have the ability to challenge and change us. So, Father, we ask that good work for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right. Well, I want to start with a sporting analogy because, you know, you can never have too many of them. Put up with me. It'll, it'll make sense, okay? Maybe. We'll, we'll see. Uh, so uh, does anyone know what team this is? It's the Wallabies, yeah. They've got new jerseys. I don't like them, but okay. So they, they, that's the Wallabies. Uh, if you're going to watch a Wallabies game, uh, you're probably not going to have a particularly great time. So this is more the, uh, the image of the Wallabies. Um, they haven't won against New Zealand, the, the Bledisloe, for 15 years. So the question would be, if you're watching them play New Zealand, what do you expect? Nothing good. In fact, I'm so certain of what to expect, I've actually stopped watching, okay? I just, I can't watch it anymore. It's a disaster. I know what to expect, and it doesn't fill me with hope. In contrast, I told you the other week, that I'm a Liverpool fan. Okay, in contrast, when I watch Liverpool, what do I expect? Well, they've won six games in a row to start this year. What am I expecting? They're going to win, and I'm going to have a great time, and they're going to look awesome, and I can shake my... Anyway, I'll be very excited if I'm watching them. On one side, an expectation of loss and disappointment... On the other side, hope, excitement, and a good possibility we're going to win. So here's the question. What team are you on when it comes to sin? What team are you on when it comes to your battle with sin? A team that has a great destiny, you know you're going to win, or, alternatively, one where you're perpetual losers, I think this resonates, doesn't it? Romans 7, verse 19. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For many of us, our immediate reaction would be to say, that's me. But I want to suggest that it's not you. And that it can't be you. And that'll leave you sitting there going, what are you going to say to us? I want to challenge you this morning to think again about Romans 7. And I do so with some trepidation on the basis that it's, uh, it's not what everybody thinks on this passage. Uh, I follow my hero in this regard, a guy called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And I think what has happened when we come to chapter 7 is... We've gone, I feel this, so we think that's what it means. I feel this, so I think that's what it means. And instead, what I want to ask this morning is, does this language occur anywhere else in the letter? Does the language in this chapter occur elsewhere in the letter? 
is the theme developed in other places. In short, what I want to challenge you to do this morning with me is to think about the context of chapter 7. The context of chapter 7. And that, have that help us understand what it means. So here's chapter 7. Chapter 7 is fundamentally about law and the flesh. Chapter 6, which preceded it, you'll be surprised to know. Chapter 6 is about grace and the law. Chapter 8, which follows it, again, this is amazing revelation so far, isn't it? Is about flesh and the spirit. What I want us to do is see how this context, 6 and 8, inform what we make sense of in chapter 7. I want to suggest to you fundamentally that chapter 7 is about the law because it contains three questions that are all about the law. Now, they're probably not our questions. We probably don't naturally think these things, but we'll see what he is talking about here. Our first question starts off like this. Do you not know, if you have a look with me at chapter 7, verse 1, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? Now, notice how he sets it up. He's saying, I'm speaking to people who know the law. That will be people who have a Jewish background. So he says, I'm speaking to people who know the law. That's the thing. And he says, don't you know that the law only has authority over someone as long as they live? Well, that kind of makes sense. That's not particularly very much of a revelation. And he gives an example. And then he says, just like the, uh, the husband or the wife is set free from their marriage vows, he says, you two have died. Have a look with me at verse 6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. In short, his answer is, the question is, don't you know that the law has authority only, only over someone as long as they live? And he says, don't worry, you've died. It has no authority over you. You have died. Maybe you remember back to chapter 6 where I talked about our baptism. And I said in baptism, they symbolise going down into the water to die, say goodbye to your old life, coming back out of the water to say that you're living a new life. For those who are in Jesus, Paul has argued in chapter 6, you have died with him when you were buried with him through baptism. There's a second question about the law in chapter 7. What shall we say then? If, if the law killed us, if we died because of the law, shall we say that the law is sinful? Uh, we can see that uh, then in verse 7. Paul answers, certainly not, and then he tells us why. He says why there is a problem when it comes to the law. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The answer he gives is, the law provoked sin in me. The law isn't sinful, but it provoked sin in me. And you think, okay, this is all very technical for Sunday morning. What, what do you mean? Well, let me give you a sign. Okay, here's a sign. The sign says what? Don't walk on the grass. Now, when, and, and walk your dog on the lead. But when we see the don't walk on the grass sign, what do we naturally want to do? 
you're all terrible. I never thought of that. That's not true, but all of us think that, don't we? Don't walk on the grass. Why? Is it special grass? What happens if I just put my foot on it? Can I have a little... Do you know this feeling? Don't walk on the grass provokes in us a desire to walk on the grass. So what Paul's saying is when the law came, it awoke in us a desire to sin. Do not covet. Do not covet your neighbor's, whatever, um, wife. I was going to say ass, but we don't have any of those anymore, do we? But it says don't covet these things. And so you go in the Lord, don't, don't, don't. Oh, I, but what about their, yeah. So all of a sudden, what Paul's saying is the law isn't sinful, but the law provokes sin in us. Do you you see how that works? And so somehow the law has caused him a lot of trouble and, in fact, to place him in the position of death. The next question then naturally follows. Question number three. We can see that in verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me. In other words, the law is good. You just said the law was good. The problem was that we're sinful. So then he says, is that which is good then, did it, did it kill me? Did the good law kill me? And he doesn't waste any time uh, answering that in verse 13. By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death. So through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. In short, he says, no, the law is good, but the revelation of the law condemns me. It was sin that's the problem. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, This is a wonderful sign in Pioneer Park in Wollongong. Now, you could have thought you could go to the park, right, and have fun. But instead, what do you meet here? How many things can you not do in the park? I think there's 12 up there. And so all of a sudden, the fun that you were doing gets labelled as sin, and there'll be a fine attached to that if the Wollongong uh, Council is around. Uh, They'll fine you for it. And, And so what happened is, because I suddenly saw the law, now not only am I provoked to do it, but when I do it wrong, I'm going to be in big trouble. There's a fine coming, because the sign tells me what the standard is and what the punishment is. In other words, Paul says the law's fine, but the outcome for me is condemnation. I'm in big trouble because of the law. And you and I know something about trying to live up to standards that are better than us. None of us can keep our own standards. All of us fall short. How much more then will we fall short of God's standard? And so Paul cries out, have a look at verse 24. Paul cries out, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? See, those who know the law, those who know they fail at the law, will cry out to say, save me. Somebody save me. Okay, done. But what about that stuff that sounded so much like me? You've said this was about a a Jew. What about all the stuff that resonated that sounds like me? What I want to do in this next section, it's going to require a little bit of work, church, okay? So it's Sunday morning, but you're here. You ready? Okay. I, I want to work with you a little bit. I want to show you that what happens in chapter 7, if we look at chapter 6 before and chapter 8 after, informs what this can or can't mean. Come on the journey with me. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says, But I am unspiritual. 
sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. In short, he says here that he is a slave to sin. What if we look at the context? If we go back to chapter 6, chapter 6 verse 18 says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In chapter 8 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Someone who is a slave to sin must be condemned by God, surely. But it says those who are in Christ Jesus have no condemnation. I want to suggest to you, it is not possible for the conclusion to be that we are any longer slaves. What about what we see in verses 17 and 18? In verses 17 and 18, the text says, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He says here, nothing good dwells in me. In chapter 5, verse 5, Paul has already written, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In chapter 8, he says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, in other words, far from saying that nothing good lives in me or that sin dwells in me, he says the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Now the spirit is the one who fills the believer. Chapter 7, verse 19, Paul says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He speaks here about a fundamental inability. I cannot do good. In chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. In chapter 8, and if I read this passage for you, chapter 8, verses 7 and following, you see this. The mind controlled by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, note this. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Rather than fundamental inability, through God you are now empowered to do something you could not do before. In chapter 7 and verse 23, we read, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. 
Paul says, I'm a prisoner of sin. In chapter 6, verse 6, we read these words. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In chapter 8, verse 15, he says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. We can't any longer be prisoners. We have now been set free. I want to suggest to you that this passage, chapter 7, with all its confusion, is primarily about the law. That's what Paul's talking about. I want to suggest to you that the pride and the desire for the law is Jewish. I delight in the law. If you're a Jew, it's your national heritage. If you're a Jew, it's your desire to do it. But if you're a Jew without Jesus, you will fail. So I want to suggest to you that it is pre-Christian failure that is outlined here. This cannot be the description of the Christian. You cannot say from the surrounding text, and I believe the rest of the New Testament, that the Christian is described as slaves to sin, with nothing good dwelling in them, with a fundamental inability to say no to sin, as prisoners of sin. I don't think that stacks up. Let me read to you what he says after this in chapter 8 and verses 1 to 4. Listen to it afresh in light of what you just heard. The desire, who will save me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. Therefore, there is now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order, and this is amazing, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. God's done something incredible, something amazing. He has created something that was not before. And so I want to suggest to you there is a great but now in the New Testament. Rather than slaves to sin, we are told that we are slaves to righteousness. Rather than having nothing good dwell in us, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Rather than having an inability to resist sin and to say no to sin, we now have a fundamental ability that wasn't there before. Rather than prisoners, again and again, we are told that we are set free. That's the glorious description of the Christian in this passage. Sure, sure, sure. Lots of Bible stuff. What does it mean for me? You're all going to go home, aren't you? And you're going to have to battle with sin, aren't you? 
So what does it mean for me? Why would it matter that I came to church and I heard this? I know something about chapter 7 in Romans. Well done. No, no, no. What, what do we do with it? How are we different because of this? First of all, we must see that sin is a deadly killer. It'll do us in. And so you and I need to start off by repenting. So today, if you've never turned to God and asked for freedom from the failure of your sin, today is a great day to get saved. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I want to be right. I want to be set free. Repent and be saved. It's a great day to be saved. But many of you will have done that already, won't you? And I want to encourage you, treat sin seriously. But when we sin, you and I are to repent as sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. This is fundamentally different. See, when we sin, we feel guilty, don't we? We feel terrible. At least I do. I'll just talk for myself. Do you know this feeling? Your lack of nodding is agreement, I'm sure. You know this feeling. We feel terrible. The last person we want to come to is our Heavenly Father because sin makes us feel guilty and messed up. The only one who doesn't want you to come to your Heavenly Father is the evil one. You Think, some of you are parents. If your children mess up, do we want them to stay far away from us and never talk to us again if they've messed up? What if they would come back to us and say, I'm sorry? Would we ever turn them away? How much more our Heavenly Father, His dearly beloved children. Brothers and sisters, we have to dare to come before God and bring our sin. We have to dare because we know that we're children and no good father would ever turn away a repentant child. So come back. Come back to your father. He delights when we confess. Repent and come back to him. I'll go back. There were four things I said about the identity of the Christian. Each one of them helps us think about sin. So tomorrow, when you go out there, here's why we can take a different approach. We were told that we're slaves to righteousness, which means each day you and I can start fresh. Who doesn't want a fresh start tomorrow? You are slaves of righteousness. Live righteously. Start that way. Start fresh. We're told that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. What, what, what's, which, which spirit dwells in us? The Holy Spirit, that's good. Uh, what do you think, if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, what do you think he wants to make happen in us? He wants us to be more holy. That's good. The Holy Spirit wants to work holiness in you. So since he dwells in you, he's as close as your closest breath, since he dwells in you, why don't you ask him, Lord God, send your spirit today and help me to choose you. Empower me to choose you. Ask for his help. He's there on tap. He lives in you. Thirdly, you have a fundamental ability. 
I said this to the, um, to the 845 guys. You'll think this is the most radical application of a sermon you've ever heard. It's a sermon about sin today, right? First of all, it applies to all of us, so that's a good start, including me. What if I told you the application from the sermon today is to try saying no to sin? Not very exciting, is it? But here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, you have the ability to say no to sin. If you read Romans 7 as your banner of what it looks like to be in this world, you are the wallabies going into a Bledisloe match. I do not do what I want to do. I can only ever do. It's sin dwelling in me. I know how that will finish up. You'll have a day where you sin a lot and you'll say, see, that's just what I was reading in the Bible. just what I was expecting to do, wasn't it? Brothers and sisters, it is hard to battle sin, but you are not without resources. You have a fundamental ability you didn't have before you knew Jesus. So try this out. I've been trying it out for a little while. It's pretty good. Say no to sin. What if you said, I'm not going to indulge that. I'm not going to pursue that. I won't say that. I won't think that. I won't hold that in my heart. I choose not to. Did you know you can? Choose to say no to sin. Fourthly, you've been set free. It's pretty good news. Really. You've been set free. Pursue holiness. Find out what a godly life looks like, not just a life of not sin. You heard me say this before, didn't you? Yeah? Not just a life of not sin. Oh, please help me not. Please help me not. No, 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 no. Show me the path of holiness. Help me to live righteously. Give me the beautiful, full life of loving you and serving you in all righteousness and holiness. And brothers and sisters, you'll never lose doing that. You'll never lose doing that. It says here, wonderfully, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you've been set free. And what you expect changes everything. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there are great truths here. There are great battles in our own life, Father. You see us fall over with sin. You you see us mess up. But Father, I pray that you would save us from the excuse of saying it's just sin, it's just what we were bound to do. Instead, Father, help us to take hold of the beautiful freedom that you've won for us. Help us to call on the beautiful resources you have put at our disposal. Help us to live a truly new life. Father, help us to seek righteousness. And Lord, I thank you so much for the beautiful forgiveness we have when we mess it up. Help us to run into your arms as children rather than hide in guilt and fear. Father, set us free. Set us on a path desiring righteousness. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there you go. That's a little bit on Romans 7. Could be fired up. 
Uh, it's because this part of the Bible is so good. So many beautiful truths in it. What I want to do now is uh, give you an opportunity to get out your Caring Connect cards. As you came in, if you picked up a Bible, there's probably one of these slotted into that uh, Bible. We'd love you to get it out. If you're new with us, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. If you'd like to get connected after the service, please come and find someone with this badge on uh, or come and see me. I'd be happy to chat. You can use this card to let us know that you'd like to join a life group. If you've been coming for a while and you don't have an opportunity to meet with the people of God here at New Life, put down, I'd like to join a life group. If you put your email address on here, we'll send you our community news that has everything that's happening in the life of New Life on it. Or you might like to come to a new or newish afternoon tea. It's a great way to get connected. There's one on today. Uh, It's on at 2 o'clock. 2.30, 2.30, fantastic, it's on at 2.30. Even if you dropped your note uh, on the Caring Connect card today and said you'd like to come, we can let you know about that. We'd love you to come as a first step to get connected here at New Life. So I'll uh, give you a moment now to fill these in and uh, I will do the same. And then we're going to finish with a song that points us towards the response that we might like to take. If you're not new uh, and you're regular here, please put your, par- your, um, your prayer requests on the card. Uh, Michael and Lauren and Jeff and I pray every Monday morning through these cards and we'd love to be supporting you. Alternatively, you might like to tell me you have a different view on Romans 7 and we can chat about that as well. I'll give you a moment to fill these in and we can talk further. <laughs>